Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. This is probably one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, Each summer we do what we call uh, summer book club. And it's a time where we take a book of the Bible and really try to dig into it. I think we've done this for about five, maybe six years now. And so we've been in Lamentations and Philippians and, and back and forth between the Old and New Testament. And so the agenda for this summer is the same as every other summer. It's to help our family get a mastery of the word of God. The point is that we are to be people of the word, people who know the word, who understand the word, and don't need anybody else to interpret for us what the word of God says. Amen. There's one. Amen. See, because in America, we are too reliant on media and other forms telling us what to do as opposed to knowing that we understand what the Spirit of God speaks to us through the Word. And so we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that is full of self-feeders, people who can go to the Word of God and glean all the wisdom and direction that God has for us. So each summer we pick a book. This time uh, we decided to go with the book of Mark. Now we're going to do it a little bit differently. In past years what we've done is we've kind of taken each chapter, uh, broken it kind of into two halves and done about half a chapter a week and really got into the text. This one's going to be a little bit different. So first you have homework and you're already late because I didn't tell you last week. Your homework assignment is to read two chapters each week. So you need to read Mark 1 and 2 quickly, and then next week it'll be Mark 3 and 4. So this week you actually need to read four chapters. And the idea is that we read the Bible together, we pray, we hear what God is saying, and then when we come here on Sunday, hopefully we have this time of of mutual revelation and clarity. But but it's not a passive thing. The idea is that each one of us is actively engaging in reading the book. And so we've taken the book of Mark... And when we were looking through it, we found something that was kind of interesting. There was about eight questions, eight issues that came up that seemed to be kind of showstoppers, that it encapsulates crucial things that Jesus pressed his followers to know and to understand. See, Jesus kind of forces decisions. Jesus doesn't like us to be lukewarm. He wants us in or out. For him or against him? So, so there's these eight crucial questions that, that he, he positions and he asks, some directly, some indirectly. And so we're going to take these next several weeks, the next couple of months, and wrestle with these eight questions that, that I think are critical to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to start out by first giving a little bit of a context for Mark as we begin to dig into the gospel. And each week we'll have a little bit of a kind of uh, background to help you understand it. The first thing to understand is Mark is probably the first gospel that was written. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Bible is not written in chronological order. 
It's not like a regular book where it just goes chapter one, two, three. Sometimes they bounce around. And, and even though Mark is the third book, it was probably the first one written. And I like Mark because he's clear about what he's writing about. If, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Mark chapter one, verse number one. Mark makes it very clear. Mark 1, 1 says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. I'm writing about Jesus. Mark doesn't really want to talk about much else besides Jesus. What did he do? Where did he go? What did he say? Why did he say it? Some of the other books of the Bible are are awesome. Most of the New Testament is letters that Paul is writing to churches in various locations. And, And when we're hearing those letters, we're hearing what it means and how we wrestle with being the people of God in community. And there is great wisdom in that. Mark doesn't want to do that. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. Know the story of the life of Jesus. And so Mark is a great book for you to understand the fundamental elements of Jesus's three or so years of public ministry on this earth. And so we're going to kind of take some time walking through each one of these sections to figure out what was key about this book in terms of understanding Jesus. I, I, want, you to, I want you to take this with you, and I want you to wrestle with this throughout the next several weeks as we deal with this. This was the most valuable thing I got in five years of seminary. I'm going to give it to you for free. You're welcome. This question is one of the most crucial questions that I think we got to wrestle with as we become uh, able to handle the word of God. Every book was written by a person who, was no, who knew God and is communicating something about God to God's people. And this is the question I got from seminary. Why did the author put this in his letter? Why is it here? These people are not just writing stuff to try to fill up pages. They didn't have some kind of quota. Everything that's in the Bible, the author is trying to communicate something about God, something about the kingdom, something about our connection to God. There's a reason why it's in there. The Bible says every word of the Bible is useful. And so as we, as we look through this, I want you to keep that in mind. Why is this here? What's important? What's valuable about this? And if you don't understand it, it's probably worth digging a little deeper because God is not just wasting your time or space. And so as we look at the beginning of Mark, again, Mark makes it very clear. This is what Jesus did. And he begins immediately talking about John the Baptist and that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. And he makes it very clear. This is the Messiah we've been waiting on. This is the one that is promised to us by God, our healer, our deliverer, our comforter, our strength, our sword, our shield, our counselor. This Jesus is the one. Let there be no question about it. And so he he declares that and he wants us to understand that this Jesus is like nobody else that's ever lived. God saw him. And said, that's my son with whom I am well pleased. Says, listen to him. Do what he says. And then Mark takes us into the healings and the public ministry of Jesus. And he, he's, he's announcing the gospel. What's gospel mean? Amen. Somebody went to Bible study. Good news. The fact that Jesus came, it's good news. 
Good news for who? Good news for people that are hurting. Good news for people that are struggling. Good news for people that have broken relationships and, and, and heartache and, and have been victims of abuse and the downtrodden and the marginalized. If that's you, good news. Jesus came for you. And so we're, he's announcing and he's proclaiming it to the people that are in desperate need of a savior. And so he starts talking about how he's healing them. And while he's healing and teaching, he begins to call disciples. He begins to call those people to be part of this kingdom movement that he is bringing to fulfillment and fruition. And most of the first chapter, we see him driving out unclean spirits and and healing people. And and people are starting to realize something very unique, something different is happening with this Jesus. Something that's worth paying attention to. And and there was a a home base kind of set up during Jesus's time in, in the Mediterranean Sea. There was a small town on the north part of the sea called Capernaum. And it was actually where Peter lived. And this was my favorite stop when we went to Israel back in about, I think it was 2010. Um, you go to Israel, I think it's a wonderful trip. I think it's definitely worth the time. But in Israel, a lot of the places that they've identified as possible sites where things happen have churches on top of them. They built kind of cathedrals or, or places of worship, which is nice. But a lot of what you end up seeing is churches. And so after about the fourth church, I know what the churches look like. And so I'm hungering for this experience of what it must have been like. And so we take this one excursion to Capernaum, which is just a very small town, maybe a little bit bigger than this building. These are small fishing towns and villages. So it's a pretty small area. And in the, in the center of this town, this is the place where for me, I felt like I was closest to where Jesus actually was. Because you see the temple. In each, each one of these towns, there was a temple. There was a place of worship. And, and so it's, it was kind of easy to find. And so it's been centuries later, and there have certainly been temples built on top of it since then. But it's the same original structure. And they dug it out. And if you look down, you can see what they think is the foundation stones of the original temple in Capernaum where Jesus actually was so powerful for me. Out of all the places we went, I went in that temple, I went in the area, and I went and I sat on the back wall. And it's mostly ruins, but you can get a shape, you can feel it. And I went and I said, you know, this is probably exactly what I would have been doing. This new teacher's around. He's talking about this new kingdom. He's got this new way of seeing the world. He tells me I'm valuable and important. And I think I would have been sitting on that back wall with my arms folded and my legs crossed trying to figure out, can I believe this guy? Is this the real deal? And it says that he comes to this temple and he begins, begins to proclaim the good news that the world will never, ever be the same because I've come. And that was such a powerful moment for me. To think I could have been there, right in this spot as Jesus began to proclaim the good news. And so Mark talks in chapter 2. This is kind of where we come into the story. And very early in Jesus' ministry, he's kind of set up Capernaum as his home base. And and now word has gone out all around the Mediterranean sea towns. and, And people are flocking in to see him. They know this guy has healing powers. 
This guy speaks with authority like, like we've never heard before. He's a different kind of teacher and people are gathering. So he goes to this house and they just pack it out. People down the street, they can't get in. Everybody who's sick and, and lame and, and hurting, they're all coming to see this Jesus. And, and, and there's this one guy who, who probably wanted to see Jesus, but he's paralyzed. I'll never get in. There's no way I can get to him. It's, it's too crowded. But he's got four friends who carry him on his mat, take him to this Jesus, realize they're not going to get in. So they climb up on the roof, dig a hole in somebody else's roof, which was a problem for me. I don't know if you caught that. Did you just dig a hole in my roof? But he digs a hole. They dig a hole in somebody else's roof. And in the middle of whatever Jesus is doing, they drop this guy down in front of Jesus. Interrupting everything. They didn't care what they were interrupting. They didn't care what the protocol was. They didn't care that there are probably legal consequences for messing up somebody else's roof. I got to get my friend in front of Jesus. And so the first point that I want you to catch from this story is watch what Jesus says. He looks up and he saw their faith and he says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. He looks at them and forgives him. It wasn't because the paralyzed guy said anything. It wasn't because his faith was so strong. Jesus looks at his friend's faith and decides to give this man a gift of forgiveness. Do you see the significance of that? Your faith gets somebody else healed. (laughs) Do you see that? Because you cared enough to to do whatever it took, to to put up with the crippled, you know, we want to, God, why you keep bringing these broken, crippled, jacked up people into my life? Can't you give me some rich, fast, good looking people? Surround me with something I can work with, God. But he says, no, I'm giving you the paralyzed, the lame, the crippled, the obnoxious, because I want you to carry them to me so that I can heal them because of your faith. That's what he's calling us to do. To carry those people that are a burden. Can you imagine your boy is lame and can't go nowhere? Hey, man, let's go to the store. Come on, man. Grab the mat. Let's go. Every time you want to go somewhere, you got to pick up somebody and carry them with you. And God said, that's exactly what I want you to do. And he looks at you. Day after day, interruption after interruption, burden after burden. He says, man, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to heal that person just because I love what you're doing. It's the first thing. He calls us to be mat carriers, to carry other people's burdens so that by our intercession, that's the big fancy Christian word, by us standing in the gap, by us caring enough about somebody else's pain and somebody else's suffering, God uses us as a delivery vehicle to bring healing to somebody else. You know, it's amazing to me that they didn't go through all this trouble for themselves. We just talked about the tower, right? That's why I put that in there. I see that tower. Lord, I need a tower. Lord, I need you to get me in that tower, to heal me up, to hook me up, to make me. He said, hold on, where's your boy with the mat? 
don't come alone. I love to see you, but I put people in your circle that you can be their mat carriers and get them in front of Jesus. That's all you got to do. You don't have to worry about healing them. You don't have to worry about saying the right words. You don't, all you got to do is get them in front of Jesus and stand back and watch what he does. But here, here's the point. Watch this, though. I bet they weren't happy. You carry this man all across town, up some stairs, onto somebody's roof, dug a hole, dropped him in, and he says he's forgiven. I wanted him running. I wanted it so maybe I didn't have to carry him around anymore. We're looking for the miracle. We're looking for the healing. We're looking for the physical. We're looking for something brand new. And God says, don't you see, I gave you a better healing than the one that you came here for. Don't be disappointed. Don't you see, I heal from the inside out. We're so worried about the physical. We're so worried about the emotional. God said your biggest pain is spiritual. Let me hook you up with that and then see what happens with your life. So here's what it means. When you still got cancer. When you still got financial problems, when the marriage didn't get reconciled, when the kids are still difficult to deal with, when your boss is still not giving you the credit you deserve, when all the emotional and physical stuff isn't going the way that I'm going, we can still see God healing us and blessing us in ways that we need more than what we were asking for. He says, your sins are forgiven. I gave you the best gift you could possibly have. You came in here carrying all this stuff. As a matter of fact, what we want is we want the healing so we can go back and do the stuff that led us away from God in the first place. (laughs) Come on now, now you know that's the truth. If you had all your health back, if you had all that money that you want, If we had all that stuff that we're asking God for, some of it may lead us as far away from Jesus as we could possibly get. And that might be the reason he doesn't give it to us all the time. And he says, it doesn't matter. It's not about just your physical. It's not just about your emotional. Seek first my kingdom. Let me give you the gift of forgiveness. Let me, let me take all of that sin and all of that worry and all of that, that, that angst off of you and let, let me put something on you that's custom made for you and your life will be filled with joy and hope and peace and then you'll be healed. Even if you still got problems. He looked at a paralyzed man who we would have called afflicted. And in that moment, Jesus declared him healed. But like us, that wasn't good enough for the crowd. You know what I love about this next part? Verse number six. It says, some of the teachers of the law, the religious professionals, were sitting there. With this face. Critical untrusting. Mm. Not sure this is right. Not sure this is meeting my standards. I see this on Sunday, so I know what it looks like. (laughs) 
I should have said it out loud. Okay. Um, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. By the way, that's a great point. That's true. He just said, your sins are forgiven. And they're saying, wait a minute, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And that is absolutely true. I can't forgive your sins. It's above my pay grade. No pastor on TV, no religious prophet person, nobody else can forgive your sins but God and God alone. No one on two legs can declare your sins are forgiven. They're absolutely right. What they missed is that Jesus was God. So they're asking the right question. They just don't see who they're talking to. And this gets us to the point of why Mark included it in the story in the first place, I believe. This gets us to the critical question. And you know what I love about this, by the way? Jesus looks at them and senses something ain't right. They didn't say anything. They didn't ask a question. They didn't raise a pro. They He's doing that. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He could sense something wasn't right in the room. Here's what I want you to catch. Don't miss this nugget. It says in verse number eight, Jesus immediately knew in his spirit, small s spirit. That's not the big Holy Spirit. That's not some divine mystic mojo because he's Jesus. That's the spirit that we have too. It's the spirit of discernment. It's the ability to see and understand that everybody that's around you all the time ain't always on your team. That, that everybody who's sitting there and maybe they applaud and maybe they say, okay, maybe they're not really promoting what's best for you. And he senses all these people around here and they want the hookup and they want the miracles and they want what I can give and they want my help. But they're not really with me. They're just around me. And by the way, we have that same spirit within us. I think we need, to, we need to be aware of that, that, that sometimes some people in our crew, some people in our family, some people in our circle, we got to be able to discern, hey, you know what? You're not really with me right now. And while I won't mind me blessing you and, and I, maybe I'm a Joseph and, and maybe you'll be blessed because you're around me, but I can't put my full confidence in you and maybe I can't even listen to your counsel because I'm not sure we're working for the same team. So Jesus senses it in his spirit, and he questions them. He gets to the crux of the matter. This, this is the crucial question that he asks. Why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? And then he puts it in ways that, that we can't help but avoiding. Who, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, for us, that's easy. I can sit around and say, God bless you, you're forgiven. God bless you, you're forgiven. I can say it all day. But if you want me to actually make somebody who's paralyzed get up and walk, that's hard. From the earthly. It seems like that's the bigger task. But here's what he says. Verse number 10. Make sure you see this. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the question. And I think Mark put it in here for this, and I think Jesus 
ultimately demands that we ask this question. We're having a power conversation. We're talking about power here. Is this guy legitimate? Does he have the power to declare these things he's declaring, to do these things that he's talking about doing? Who's got the power? Well, Jesus is making it clear. Oh, I'm the man up in here. Oh, there's only one top dog. It's me. Jesus is is proclaiming that there has been no one else. You've never seen another teacher. You've never seen anyone else who can do the things that I do because I alone am God on earth. God with flesh on. He's declaring and making a, a statement about who he is and the scope of his power. Now, I want to be clear about this word power here. Because uh, oftentimes when we hear about power and we're talking about power, it's this Greek word called dunamis, which is translated in our language. It's the base word for dynamite. So it's talking about this explosive power. And when we think about power, we're talking about the ability to overcome obstacles, that there's, there's something weighing on me or some kind of resistance and I have the power to overcome it. But that's really not what he's talking about. Yes, I have the power to heal this man. I, I have the ability, I have the skills, I have the, the, the power to, to take someone who's lame and make them whole. But that's not the word he uses. He actually uses a word here called exousia which is not about the ability to overcome resistance. It's about authority. See, we're really having a conversation about authority. And many of us, dare I say all of us, have authority issues. We got issues of authority. Some of us, it goes back for a while. You know, from our parents, the police. We, we just don't like authority. We don't, we don't like people over us. We don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like people dictating what, what we can do. And the whole society is really based around this issue of authority. Who is in control of your life? Who has authority over you? And that's the question, the first crucial question. Jesus demands that we answer, who has authority on this earth over your life? Now, we are sophisticated, educated people. You know, we know enough about the Bible to know that the right answer is Jesus. Jesus has authority. He's authoritative. Yeah, kind of in in theory, kind of conceptually. But I want to press that a little bit. See, authority is, is a real deep issue. I, I do counseling sometimes as a pastor, and, and I want to make this clear. You're not showing up to get my opinions or my wisdom. My opinions aren't that good, and I'm not that wise. What my role is, is to help you in the midst of your circumstance understand what the Bible says in order that you can apply God's wisdom to your circumstances. That's all I do. And, and so sometimes I'll do things like marital counseling. And so we'll go and we'll have this conversation and and we're talking about the issues and communication and and all these things that are going on. And and, and I'm saying, okay, well, let's look at the word of God. Let's understand scripture. Let's let's see if we can find a scenario in the Bible that has some parallels with your situation and understand what the word of God says. Okay, we can do that, but I'm not going to do that. Well, then why don't we just go to a movie or go play card? What are we doing right now? See, because we keep having these conversations. We come in and we talk and and I try to help you understand what the word of God says and you say, okay, and then you go out like, I'm not going to do that. And you come back two weeks later. It didn't work. We still got issues. Well, let's talk about the word of God. Okay, that's good. 
I'm not going to do that. And so we just keep going around and around having this cyclical conversation with no ability to make any progress because we refuse to let God be authoritative in our lives. And we wonder why we're stuck in the same place over and over again. It's a question of authority, which means it's a question of submission. Who do we submit to when things aren't rainbows and sunshine? When conflict comes, when there's pressure and there's problems, do we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you give me your direction and your counsel? Because as, Paul, as Mark says, Jesus is the only one who has authority. He's the one who directs my thoughts and my plans and my actions, even when I don't like what he says. When the Bible says things like, every day, pick up your cross, die to yourself. If you're walking through this life with Christ and it doesn't hurt a little bit, I'm not sure you walk in the right way. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, try to follow Jesus. Because he causes me to do things that I don't want to do. He makes me go places I don't want to go. He stops me from going places I do want to go. I got all kinds of people, mostly living in here, telling me what I should do. And he says, no, I have authority over your life to direct your past and your decisions. To direct what you will do with the resources I place in your hands. He demands that we acknowledge his authority and submit. And either we do it or we don't. You know, you know what I think is happening in our culture today? We got a million issues going on. We got all kinds of issues about um, what we can and can't do and what people can and can't do and what's legitimate and what's legal. I really think it's all just an authority issue. I think it comes down to authority. So take an issue in your life, financial relational, sexual, pick a category. I don't need to fill in the blank. You got plenty of blanks. You can fill it in yourself. Whatever issue it is that we're wrestling with, what I think the fundamental issue in our society, the society says, well, do whatever you want to do. Uh, Think however you want to think. It's free reign, no holds bars. Whatever feels good to you, go ahead and do it. The only thing that's a problem in our society is telling somebody else they can't do something that they want to do. Other than that, we got free reign. Why? Because you are your own authority. You you got a license. Whatever feels good, whatever you think is right, whatever makes you happy, do it. There is nowhere in the Bible that you will find a verse that says that. You will not find any society that Jesus, hey, hey, you guys, you'll figure it out. Go ahead and have a good time. Just do whatever you want to do. Matter of fact, he speaks directly against that. And the question that we're really wrestling with as individuals and as a society is who has authority? Who draws the boundaries? Who puts limits on what I do and how I do it and how I live my life? Anybody? Or is it just you making your own way? This is particularly relevant for believers because honestly, we got authority issues. We kind of know Jesus is out there. But I kind of figure out what I want to do, and then I go do it, and then I go look for a verse that tells me it was okay. <laughs> Amen, by myself. <laughs> Mark is putting this in here early in the Bible because I think he's trying to get us to see. This is a crucial question. People are flocking to Jesus. 
They want his healing. They want to be part. Everybody wants to be on a winning team, right? Jesus is doing amazing things, and he's drawing a crowd. And so people are flocking to him mostly for their own benefit. And as he's calling his disciples in, he says, you got to understand, do you really believe I have authority in your life? Are you willing to submit to me even when it doesn't feel good? Even when your desires, even when the crowd, even when culture says this is all right, do I find an issue, seek God, which means I go to the Bible, which is the best revelation of who this Jesus is, and say, God, as I find you, as I seek you, as I submit to you, I become available for whatever you want me to do in this circumstance. That's what it means. And that's a crucial question. I want to make it plain. If your life isn't lived in submission to Christ, then you will not be the person of God that he wants you to be. You can't get there. You you, you can't get there doing it my own way and then wanting God to co-sign on my wisdom as opposed to following his. We can't get there. And he's calling us to wrestle with this question before we get too far into mirror. And you know what I love about Mark? My, my second favorite thing about Mark, he, I don't think he's too impressed with the disciples. We're going to see this unfold. Of all the books, you know, you've got other books where you've got the, the, the disciples going out and they're healing and they're, they're becoming part of this ministry. They're doing all this great stuff. Mark thinks the disciples are pretty slow. He thinks they don't really get it. He thinks they're not really catching on. He thinks they see Jesus. They've been a witness to Jesus' power. They see how he works, and they're constantly confused going their own way as opposed to following Christ, just like us. And I think he's calling us to live a different way. He's calling us to wrestle with that question in our bedrooms, in the courtroom. Wherever we find ourselves, am I living my life submitted to the will and the word of God? If not, I'm cutting off my relationship with Jesus at the knees. Here's my point. I, I, I want to I use this to prove my point. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 6, I'm sorry, Mark 16. This is the beginning of the book, right? But I, I want to jump to the end because I think he's, I think he's building a case that he's going to wrap up. Uh, this whole book. I think he's making this point, Mark 16, and I'm going to jump down to verse number 15. So at this point, Jesus has been around. He's healed. He's taught. He's talked about the kingdom. He's, he's done all kinds of miraculous signs. He's, he's gone to heaven. He redeemed the world. He's come back, and he's beginning to reveal himself. Verse number 15 says, Sorry, I'm going to start at 14. Um, He's just appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus, letting the world know the significance of his life and of his ministry. Verse number 14, Jesus later appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. They still ain't got it right. Three years later, and they're still hard-hearted and rebellious. And he rebukes them. He's trying to get them to submit themselves to his teaching and his wisdom. And to me, he's putting a warning label on it. An impetusy 
impotency warning. That if we don't find ourselves submitted to God, if we find ourselves refusing to walk in the way of faith, if we find ourselves unwilling to believe that God is still moving and delivering and healing and calling us into it, we find ourselves useless to God. This is the church. He's trying to bring in those disciples so that they will be part of his movement. And then he says, if you will stop doing that, then I will send you out into all the world and you will preach the good news to all of creation. That's what we're supposed to be doing today. I'm supposed to be taking my life and my struggles and ups and downs and God's faithfulness and letting my life be a testimony to the world that I can be a living sermon, that I can be a living sacrifice, that God can send me out to the four corners of the world so that every man, woman, and child can encounter the true and living God who changed my life forever. But he's saying if we don't get this authority issue clear in our hearts and in our minds, if I don't allow the word of God to be my filter, to be my center, to be my compass, then I can't get sent out to the people God is sending me to. I won't even see when there's a paralyzed person that God is telling me to pick up that mat and carry. I won't even see it. I'm so consumed by my own stuff. And so Mark is trying to say, I think the first issue to wrestle with, even for us today, is what does it mean that Jesus has all authority on earth and in my life? What does that look like? How do I live that out? How does it affect what I do and and where I go and what I watch and what I listen to and who I hang out with and, and who I'm in relationship with? Where does that authority and my submission to that authority manifest itself for real in my day to day walk? And brothers and sisters, can I tell you that question is crucial to you being all that God designed you to be. Now, the good news is God's love and his grace covers over a multitude of our sins. I'm not talking about walking around perfect and flawless. We'll never do that. But just as God looked at those critics on the side and without them saying a word, he knew what their heart was thinking. That's all he's asking us to do is to turn our hearts to God in fullness and sincerity and say, God, I want you more than all of these things, more than the kingdoms that the world promises, more than wealth, more than recognition. God, I want you. I want you. And I'll do whatever it takes I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll put away whatever you tell me to put away. That I can become a holy and righteous vessel that looks like my Savior. And when I place my life in your hands, I know you will use me to bring someone else home.
Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.